You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. We're in a a series right now called Acts Empowered for Mission, and we're coming to the end of the series here. We've got about, I think, five or six weeks left, but uh, to be honest, I was studying this week, and I joked with Oliver. I was like, you always give me the, like, weirdest passages to preach on. Uh, And, uh, like, there was one time I was having to do Genesis 40, and it's like Joseph meeting his brothers again for the first time, and it just was this long, the brothers come, and Joseph talks, the brothers leave, they come back, Joseph talks again, and I was like, what do you want me to do with this? The best week I had was Romans 8, you know, so no condemnation. I was like, I do this all day, you know. But uh, this one was, uh, it, it's Paul's journey through Jerusalem and Rome, and it's just chapters of Paul went here, and this happened. And then Paul went here, and then this happened. And so I'm like, so the sermon should be short today. We'll, we'll see. But uh, before we got into the passage, uh, I wanted to uh, highlight an article I read this week. This was a USA Today article. And this title uh, was pretty compelling to me. It said, Christians, let's stop fighting each other. And serve our neighbors in need instead. Starting off strong. This was uh, written by a guy named Chris Paluski. He's the president and CEO of Bethany Christian Services, a national uh, Christian organization. He wrote this article. And here's a statistic he shared. He said, majority of Americans, and it was about 66%, ages 23 to 30, said they stopped attending church on a regular basis for at least a year after turning 18. So think about, like, if there were 100 people in this room, think about 66 people just getting up and leaving, okay? And this was their reason. Among the top reasons, they said that they left. They said that church members seem divisive, judgmental, or hypocritical. Have any of you used or heard that word before in regard to church? we got hands in the back. (laughs) Testimony Sunday. Divisive, judgmental, hypocritical. Those are strong words. This was his quote from the article. He says, I am emphasizing that Christians are too often known for what we're against rather than what we're for. Too often we celebrate division to show we practice the purest form of Christianity. Whether you agree with the statement or not, Christianity, the reality is it's falling. The trajectory is aimed downwards in the United States. It's not going up. Um, The reason is, I read another article and I'm not saying articles are, you know, always a thing to be trusted, but it's just research, just statistics. They said that Christians among other Christian-related religions are less warm in temperature, okay? So, like, cold being, like, absolutely not hot, being they're so loving, so caring. This was the recent study. Evangelical Christians ranked last behind Jews, Catholics, and mainline Protestants in regard to how warm they feel to the American people. I'm in no way saying that Jews or Catholics or mainline Protestants should not be warm. They should be. But the point is, we worship Jesus, the embodiment of love. God is love, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that was Jesus, right? So in my mind, I'm looking at these other faiths, and I'm like, so why are we falling so far behind? On a scale of 0 to 100, 100 being the warmest, we rank like 60. Jesus would probably call that lukewarm, Amen. Some sections of Christianity would say that this is due to our unrelenting steadfastness to what we believe. So a lot of times you meet people and they're like, well, I'm just standing for what I believe in. So I'm going to be stubborn about it. 
and you're not going to step on my toes, but I'm going to step on yours. Ultimately, all this is is just bullying and antagonizing people in groups who share differing beliefs, cultural issues, and political standings. In conclusion, I heard this quote this week by none other than Mahatma Gandhi, and he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I would hate to be standing before Jesus one day, and he actually looks at me and says, depart from me because I never knew you because you didn't look like me in the way you lived. What we're going to talk about today is that there is a trap within, and I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about, you know, charismatic versus reform versus whatever. It's not what this is about. But there is a trap for the American church to get stuck in what I think is right, what I think right doctrine is. And there are things we should stand on, but they're not things that we should be offending directly with. Does that make sense? The gospel is offensive on its own. God doesn't need you to be offensive. Amen? When you look at the Bible, the moments that we're called to be offensive is actually to people within the church. Jesus looks at the sinners. He looks at, you know, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the worst of the worst people, and he wants to have dinner with them. Jesus, Jesus looks at people in faith, and he says, if your brother's sinning, you need to go talk to him about it. We, have a, we do a bad job of witnessing well, because we get those two things confused. And we think that our job is to look at the people who are the lost and the unbelieving, who think differently and, and, and don't believe in God, and we're supposed to like make them believe it and tell them they're wrong, tell them they're full of sin, when that's not anything that Jesus told us to do. Are we all on the same track? The title of this sermon, I like titles and bullet points, the title is More Like Jesus. This morning, I want to take a look at what it means to be a Christian that looks like the Christ we worship. A couple things we're going to look at today, and these are just some good prompts to help us think through uh, the scripture today. What would our world look like if we actually walked and lived as Jesus did? If the church looked and served more like Christ, would Christianity increase or diminish? And what does a life imitating Jesus actually mean? look like? And ultimately, that's going to be the question we're going to answer today. What does a life imitating Jesus actually look like? So before we get into the passage, uh, some context. So Paul is one of the most stubborn people in all the Bible. He's stubborn because all of his friends tell him, if you go to Jerusalem and or to Rome, they're going to kill you. And he goes, good, I'm leaving. He thinks it's a great idea. And the reason he thinks it's a good idea is because he hasn't lost focus of what the task is. So Paul is going, in a small way, to help uh, those in Jerusalem who are going through a drought. There's a drought and a famine going on. He's bringing money and food and resources. He's there to help, you know, which is really great. His bigger task is he's wanting to witness. He wants people to come to know Jesus. Paul is not going to argue with people. That's not the goal. He may argue with people, but that's not the goal. He's not going to hold debates. He's not going to, uh, you know, smack people over the face with his copy of the Torah and tell them how dumb they are or ignorant they are. That's not the goal. He's there to bring the gospel, bring the good news, because it's good news. Amen? So um, the thing that's interesting is Luke writes Acts as he did his own gospel. And right now, Paul and Jesus' journeys in those two books are looking very similar. The similarities they have is Paul is a threat to the Jewish and Roman powers. Jesus was as well. Paul is going to face suffering, just as Jesus did. 
But the key point is that Paul considers this, the threats and the suffering, he considers it an honor to be persecuted as his Savior was. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus considered it a joy to go to the cross. Paul finds it a joy to go and suffer for the sake of the gospel. He hasn't lost his perspective. All right, let's get into the passage. Acts 23. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. Who are the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is a group of 71 guys. Imagine it's the state government. Paul is standing before all of South Carolina state government, and they're there to judge him. He looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. So he's like, hey guys, I've been doing everything I can. I feel like I'm doing it from a pure-hearted place. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So a couple of theories about why Paul would say, I did not realize he was the high priest. One theory is that he's like undercutting and being like, Sorry, uh, judged by his behavior, I didn't know that was a chief priest. Um, the other theory is that he's been beaten so badly he's blind. He can't, he can't see very well. So couple things that help clarify the passage. Number one, the, the Jewish law clearly says that if you strike anyone, it is a sin. More than striking anybody, if you lift a hand as if you were to hit somebody, that is a sin. You need to head to the temple, okay? Number two, if a priest does something like that, absolutely not, unheard of. So you have in one instance, Paul comes in good faith, in good measure, saying, hey guys, I don't feel like I should be here for any specific reason. The chief priest says, somebody slap that guy. And he gets slapped in the face, which that too, being slapped is incredibly disrespectful. Like, just punch me, don't slap me. It makes me feel small. (laughs) Yikes is right, (laughs) just slap. Um, So like, it's a double whammy for them. Like, it's like, not only did you hit me, but you said to hit me. Does that make sense? The guy who should be the last person to resort to violence, like, you did it. So Paul's reaction back to Jesus in Matthew 18, he confronts it and calls it what it is. Like, how hypocritical of you to hit me? That's all he's saying. And what does the group around him say? How dare you insult the high priest? So it's like, how dare you confront my hypocrisy? I'm going to be more hypocritical. It's logs and specks, you know what I mean? And so it's very interesting. But the beautiful piece here, and this is what I'm trying to get at, the default for us as humans is if they came back, was I'm now going to fight back with that. Oh, yeah? How many of y'all been in an argument with your spouse? You know how it is. You start sharing blows a little bit. You know, you're like, oh, yeah? But what does Paul do? He doesn't do that. You're right. That is what the law says. You don't have to follow the law. That's fine. I'll follow it. I'm sorry. That was wrong. So what does it mean to live a life worth imitating? It's a life that's, that has more humility and less hostility. Okay? It's fine that Paul gets upset. We're allowed to get upset. The better part, though, is he sees that these guys aren't going to hear it. You know what I mean? He's going, oh, you're not here to talk. You're here to attack. You're here to be hostile. So I'm going to back off. Paul quickly chooses his battles. 
So I told you guys earlier, like, I'm an introvert. Something that's interesting about me being an introvert is I'm a really intense driver. You can ask my wife. And I think it's because I'm in my little box. You know what I mean? Somebody cuts me off, like, it's not good. Like, and my wife's so chill, you know? And she's like, why do you care so much? And I always say, it's because I demand justice. Do you understand? <laughs> I'm like Batman. I just need justice. You know what I'm saying? Justice has to be served. And I can't stand it when someone goes through a red light, cuts me off, whatever it is. And I'm like, they just got away with it. There they go. They're just, they're just off. Like, I'm going to do something about it. Our flesh seeks vindication. Right? And you can only imagine Paul, he's, being, he's suffering, he's being abused. And so, yes, for him to call out and go like, you're being such a hypocrite. It's right, but it's also, he's probably fearful for his life. And hopefully that'll wake them up, but it doesn't. So he knows to back off. Our flesh always seeks that kind of vindication. That's how we are as human beings. We want to be right. Not just like, I want to be right even when I'm wrong. Like, I want righteousness. I want to have a right standing. I want to stand here and make myself right. But Paul sees past his flesh and he sees the cross of Jesus and knows that Jesus holds his righteousness, right? He's not defined by the Sanhedrin. He's defined by the cross. So if I'm living my life defined by the cross and defined by the righteousness that Jesus has given me and by who, as we saying, the Father says that I am, I don't need you to tell me I'm right. Right? So then it's not just like, I don't need to be right, so I'm going to keep being aggressive. It's like, I don't need to be right, so I don't need this. So Paul's like, cool. You guys want to fight about it? Let's fight about it. You're right. I messed up. Hostility creates war, but humility creates peace, right? So just take a note of that. Look at how Paul's behavior shifts like he's trying to de-escalate the situation. And this is why I'm getting at when I talk about churches and Christians leaving the church because of divisiveness and hypocrisy and all that. We are supposed to be the hub of humility. We are supposed to be the hub of I was right or I was wrong. We act like we were right, amen? We're supposed to be the first person to say I was wrong the first person to be humble. And yet, I think the statistics show that we're not. So anyway, that's all I want to say. I can keep going. I'm trying to keep my time going on. When we decide, um, like I said, you know, with Emily, I I do this a lot too when I'm fighting or like in traffic. When I decide that the fight's not worth it, when I decide that my wife is more worth it and the peace in the home is more worth it, that's when the life starts to come out. But it's extremely difficult to push past that barrier, to say, like, what do I feel right now? I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. To push through those feelings creates the peace, though. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm going to keep telling personality things about myself. Enneagram 9, anybody familiar? I hate conflict. I hate it. Makes me want to throw up, like, seriously. I had to, like, text Kristen about something a couple weeks ago. I was like, hey, listen, this is really awkward. I don't want to make a big deal about this. It's not a big deal. You can keep doing whatever you're doing. Like, everything's fine. You didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. You know what? Just never mind. Like, it just was like, I didn't even want to get into it. But, like, those moments of conflict, if you step into it, not to fight, but to, like, find peace, it creates it versus, like, trying to maintain it or keep it, you know? So what I'm trying to say is, like, don't be aggressive, but don't be passive. You have to step into the conflict. Paul is engaging with the Sanhedrin. He could have just, I mean, Jesus did. Jesus just stood there. He didn't say anything. And they're like, are you the son of God? He's like, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. You know, like, <laughs> he's just keeping them guessing. Paul's moving in. 
but he's doing it trepidatiously. He's doing it with a sense of humility and calm. And so anyways, I want to get the scripture up. We all know it, but it, it just, it's so accurate to the story. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They're called children. Aggressors, people who are hostile people, are cursed with loneliness. You know that? You ever been around somebody who's just like always intense, always angry, always upset? They don't have a lot of friends. You know what I mean? But peacemakers are blessed with sonship. When I make peace, despite what the world says, despite what my friends and my family say, I'm always a son. I'm always a daughter. That's not going to change. Right? All right, let's move on. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander, this is the Roman commander, was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So earlier I said, a life worth imitating has more humility and less hostility. Now a life worth imitating has more honor and less humiliation. So Paul, he's done this twice now. He looks at the Sanhedrin and he calls them brothers. And more than brothers, he says, my brothers. Why is he saying that? Because as he said before, he's Jewish. He is a Pharisee. Now, it could just be, I'm on trial. I'm in a dangerous situation. I'm trying to, you know, schmooze up a little bit. Maybe I can get out of this. Maybe. My theory is, is that Paul is trying to connect. I know when I'm in a dispute or an argument, one of the best things you can do is like come down a little bit and start to ask questions and seek understanding. So I feel like this is getting really hot. What if we just bring it down a notch? You know, how are you feeling? When we choose, instead of to like get angry and, and to come at people with hostility and humiliation, trying to make them feel stupid, right? And came in and try to honor them, like, I'm not going to act like I'm better than you. I'm going to note that I'm just like you. Paul's like, I know Jesus, but I'm a Jew and a Pharisee. We are exactly the same. I'm no better than you are. You're no better than I am. Let's just start there. And he's trying to connect. I'm a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. You're Jewish. I'm Jewish. Let's just, let's just chill out. The thing that happens, and I believe this is in the spiritual realm, what starts to happen when we start to make peace like this and choose honor instead of humiliation is now all of a sudden light is coming into the situation. And as the light comes in, whatever the enemy is stewing or cooking or working starts to not be able to work out as much. If you notice, the moment he tries to bring unity, they grow into the dissension. Like, it's like the moment he's like, hey, guys, let's just talk. They're like, like the whole religious institution has broken in half because darkness cannot hang out with light. Amen? Like, darkness can't hang out with light, and the cross and the gospel of Jesus can't last, well, sorry, the religious institution can't last in light of the gospel. So Paul's decision to show honor, not to, like, argue, not to humiliate, make fun of, or to stand up for himself, he could have done that, and it just would have been a back and forth. You know what I mean? They just would have been warring at each other, but he doesn't, and it causes the whole thing to 
implode. Um, I used to do this early in ministry. My wife and I were dating at the time. And I used to ask her, this is the real thing I would ask her when we were dating. I'd say, hey, I have a hard time having conversations with people. Can you tell me how you're so extroverted? And she was like, what? Like, I'm like, yes, I'm sitting in conversations with people and my mind is reeling as to how I'm going to keep this conversation up for the next five minutes. Like, I can't think of anything else to talk about. She was like, just keep asking questions. And I was like, yeah, but what questions? Are there specific questions I should ask? Like, I'm just like reeling. She's like, no, you just ask questions. And as the questions come up, you start to find connections. You start to find things that you're sharing. You find commonality, and then conversations start. Next thing you know, you have a relationship. I'm not that weird anymore. I've really grown in my... I said it, typing it, and then I said it out loud, and I was like, it's not getting better. It got worse the more I kept talking about it. If you, uh, I don't know if you've ever, like, had somebody who disagrees with you on something. Maybe it's politics, you know. Maybe it was COVID and masks and vaccines and all that stuff. And, like, the media is, like, the loudest thing in the world. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so, and you get so mad about something, or you get so frustrated, and then you, like, sit down. You know, if you're a Democrat, you sit down with a Republican, or vice versa. And all of a sudden, you realize, you're not as crazy as I thought you were. You know what I mean? Or they're like, you're not as crazy as I thought you were. And you're kind of buddies. You kind of agree on things. And that's how the enemy works with us as well. I think, like, we can get so caught up in the things that we disagree with, the things that, like, I wish they didn't do that thing that way. We get caught up in churches, like, well, I didn't like the sermon, or I didn't like the worship, or, you know, the coffee was okay, and, and like, all this stuff. But it's like, this isn't the, the point. You know what I mean? Can we push past the point of, like, talking about, you know, I want to wear masks, I don't, whatever, dude. Like, can we talk? Let's just have a conversation. Choosing to, like, honor somebody who thinks differently than you doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But showing honor extends love. Which, news alert, that's the gospel. The gospel, like nowhere in the Bible did Jesus ever say, you're supposed to go change everybody's mind. That never came up. Ever. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians, Paul says that, yeah, I planted, Apollos watered, He didn't say that, but I brought the increase. He said God brought the increase. Your job, and as we're going to find out in a minute, is to testify. This is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. And I just want you to experience the same thing. The moment you do that and you show like understanding and kindness and humility and honor, that's when the spirit starts to do the work because you are now getting out of the way. You know what I'm saying? But when you try and take it in your own hands and go like, you need to believe this, you need to understand that, this isn't that, this is sin, you're going to go to hell, blah, 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 blah. Like, no one asks you to do that. You're doing extra. And not only are you doing extra, but you're doing, like, negative work. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not growing, we're getting worse. Uh, Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, that's something that I know, like, Again, I've heard with relationships, like when you step back and you seek to understand, when you say, like, maybe my goal here isn't to win, maybe I can just understand where you're coming from. It doesn't mean you're always going to resolve, but at least you get to walk away, the higher person, the bigger person, you know what I mean? But that's the gospel. The Bible says that when we do that, it's like heaping hot coals on the heads of our enemies. It will, uh, listen, I'm going to keep bringing it up. Whenever I'm in an argument with Emily and she does this, goes low, I am even more enraged. I'm like, no, 
no, she's winning. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm the idiot now. You know, that's, that's my whole perspective. But, like, that's, that's the Holy Spirit because now you realize how silly you are. You know, and you're like, dang it. Um, all right, so we're going to finish. So I feel like I'm just zooming through. I need to slow down a little bit. Um, all right, this is the last verse that we're going to go over, but I'm going to slow it all up so we can spread this sermon then. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So the third thing about what does a life worth imitating look like? It's a life full of more hope and less self. More hope and less self. This term, take courage, um, you guys have heard it before. It's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It comes up like 15 times. And this Greek use of the word courage, it means to radiate warm confidence. To radiate warm confidence. Jesus coming to Paul and encouraging him was to reinstill why he was doing what he was doing. To testify to the hope of Jesus. I said this before, like, being a believer in the American church, we can get caught up on so much. I get caught up on so much. What translations are we using? Are, is this church more missional or are they more worshipful? You know, like, what's the age demographic? Like, what's this? What's that? Like, getting caught up on all that. Who's this pastor we should listen to? Who we shouldn't listen to? The commentator, the style of worship, the blah, blah, blah. Like, and we get so lost in the weeds. And all that stuff is not the point because we're losing the focus. The focus is that we would be able to testify to the hope of the gospel. If you think about a courtroom, what is a witness doing? They're not getting up, and they're not the attorney, right? They're not the lawyer solving the case. They are up there to tell a story. They testify, and they sit back down, right? As a church, as the church, the body of Christ, that is your sole job, is in your workplace, with your family, with those around, how you treat people in restaurants and Starbucks and whatever else. Like, that is your witness, how you were talking to your kids, how you talk to your kids around other people. I'm not saying be fake, but something to think about. I think about that. That is your witness. And your, it's not just with your words saying that Jesus is the hope of the world and he died for your sins. That's the truth of the gospel. But that your life would reflect it. And it's reflected when you're humble. It's reflected when you're honoring. And it doesn't make sense to be either of those things. The world will combust. Their computer will break because they won't be able to be like, why are they being so, you know, because they can't figure it out. When you are owed vengeance and you are owed justice, why did you stand down? When your spouse cheated on you or something awful happened, like you got fired for a terrible reason or whatever it is, why did you not fight back? Why did you take your spouse back? Why did, you know what I mean? Like all those little things The world cannot compute because they don't know that kind of love. They don't know that kind of hope. They think this world is it. We know it's not. So we can't act like this world is our hope. Does that make sense? All of these things that we get caught up in, the politics, the denominations, worship styles, all that stuff, and even political issues, y'all. I mean, like gender stuff, homosexuality stuff, like I'm not saying you have to agree with everything, but you need to treat people like Jesus would treat people. Amen? You don't have to. That doesn't mean you're giving in. Don't give in. Like, it's not about that. Love people and disagree with them. 
Done. All of those things, they're distractions, they're tactics that the enemy is using to keep your focus away from your true calling, which is the Great Commission. And all the Great Commission was, was follow me and allow other people into your life to follow you. So that as you are transformed and your mind is being renewed, they might be transformed and their lives might be renewed. So, a couple of disclaimers before I finish out. I'm not saying that apologetics are worthless. They are super helpful. You need to know your faith as you live it out. But know that things like apologetics are not a reason for you to step on a platform and start berating people with facts. Because that's not going to save them. That's the bottom line. I'm trying to go back in my mind and think of the last person I knew that got in a debate and then got saved. I can't think of any stories. If you guys got one, tell me. But if you know your stuff and then you can work it out in love and walk alongside somebody and just live your life as a family member differently, live your life as an employee differently, that is your testimony. That is your power, the power of the spirit within you, the power of resurrection. One last story um, before we get into the questions. Like, I was 21, 2021, and, you know, I, I had, as, I grown, as I've grown as a believer, my relationship with my parents, like, have gotten more weird and awkward, you know what I mean? Because, long story, but um, grew up not in a Christian home. And um, I remember I was on the phone with my mom one time. I was working at a coffee shop at the time. And she was talking to me about stuff going on in her life, you know, hardships and relationship issues and, and all kinds of stuff. I wasn't trying to, like, share the gospel with my mom, but I just started saying things like perspectives. You know what I mean? Like, I started saying, like, well, I've noticed in my relationships when I X, Y, Z, things are X, Y, Z. You know, blah, 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 blah. I'm talking for, like, 10, 10, 15 minutes. And my mom's on the other end, and she's like, I've never heard you talk like this before. And I'm like, what? You know, like, I'm like, that's weird. But she's like, where did you get all this? Like, where did you learn that? And that was the, like, Holy Spirit touch moment where I was like, from the Bible, following Jesus, you know, going to church, being a Christian. Like, this is Christian stuff. And I remember my mom saying, I don't know if I'll ever come to know God like you do, but I hope that I do someday. Meaning I'm not there yet, but that was interesting. Something in the conversation touched her, right? So like branch out a little bit. That's my mom. Mildly strained relationship. Think about not just your family, but think about people who are not believers that you know. Think about people that aren't just unbelievers, like they are uh, aggressive towards Christianity. Think about people, I go through this all the time, think about people who have, you know, deconstructed, people who are no longer Christians, left the church because they were hurt by the church. Is it best to win arguments? Is it best to be heard? Is it best to tell people how wrong and sinful they are? Do, do like logically think about is that going to work? Is that going to be effective? I'm going to argue no. Because that's not the heart of Jesus. 
And if people have come to salvation through that way, the power of the Spirit is greater than ours. But I think it's skewed. How many of us have grown up, both sides, hyper-charismatic background, hyper-religious, fundamental, law-abiding background? Did you grow up and did you feel like, man, I have a really good, wholesome view of God? Probably not, because it was contingent on all these personalities and preferences, right? So my, my ask this morning, my, the, the, what I want to like just implore <laughs> today is that we would back off from what we view our faith to be culturally and go back and just look at the life of Jesus. And as I, I titled this more like Jesus on purpose because that's the prayer. If I don't want to be the guy that Gandhi's talking about, a Christian that doesn't look like Christ, and if I don't want to be a part of these statistics that say that I'm divisive and hypocritical and aggressive, what do I do? Sunday school answers, you look more like Jesus. Jesus was aggressive to the hypocrites. He went after the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But the worst of the worst, incredibly kind and loving. The woman who was caught in adultery, did he say like, you've really messed up this time. I hope you know how bad this is. If you don't pray hard enough, he's probably going to tell you you can't get into heaven. Like, you know, that stuff wasn't happening. He's like, what are you crying for? And she's like embarrassed. She's ashamed. And he goes, you know what's crazy? There's nobody here accusing you right now. So how about you get up? That was Jesus' invitation when somebody sinned. In sin, right? He didn't say keep sinning because you're having a great time. Like, but he didn't beat him over the head. You know, do you guys get what I'm trying to say? Okay. So how do we do this? How do we live a life that's more humble, more honoring, more full of hope? Simply, I think it's just spending time with the one who embodies these things. A couple of scriptures before we wrap up. This is Isaiah 53. This is Jesus. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus kept his mouth shut when faced with oppression and affliction. He didn't argue. He didn't fight. He didn't try and make a point. He died. He suffered and died. Your call, as Jesus has said, is to die. That's the call. To your pride, to your selfishness, to die to your entitlement, to your political views, to die. Because guess it's, it is not it is not about you <laughs> and your feelings and your preferences. I'm sorry. And you know what? Like the world is in, it's in bondage. The world is under bondage. This is what Romans would tell us. Like, and it's not getting better. Laws are not getting better. The government's not going to get any better. So stop sitting around waiting for it to change. Stop tweeting hoping it'll change. Stop Facebook posting hoping it'll change. It's not going to. What would happen if you were? as I said before, a light in the dark place. A light of hope. A light of humility and honor and respect and compassion. Again, just think about it practically. Which of those lives do you think would make a bigger impact?
a life that's just disagreeing with everything and posting how much you hate Ron DeSantis, or the life that chooses the low road and says, I'm just going to love people. I'm just going to be really kind to people. Doesn't mean you have to give up anything you believe in. Doesn't mean you have to stand on a podium and say, I disagree with every cultural issue. Like, no one asks you to do that. Just love people. This is 1 Peter 2. I'm going to read a couple of sections. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. That's a hard word, submit. Whether to the emperor, Emperor Joe Biden, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So if you don't want to look dumb in front, as a Christian in front of unbelievers, then you just need to be extremely kind and submissive. <laughs> because then they're going to look foolish. That's the bottom line. Live as free people, Americans. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You're not free to bark at people. You're not free. And here's the bottom line, too. The United States government is not the kingdom of God government. Let's just start there. So this whole, like, my religious freedoms, like, okay. What, what, what did Jesus say about religious freedom? He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You need to pay taxes? Pay the taxes. You need to do this? Just do it. So, like, you are free, and in Christ you're set free, and your freedom in Christ is eternal, whereas this is not. This democracy will fall one day. Hopefully not soon, but hopefully, like, when Jesus comes back. That's the goal, right? So don't use this freedom to, like, be aggressive. Use it to be welcoming and humble and honoring. Um, And this is the second part. When they hurled their insults at him, this is, again, talking about Jesus. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The government, um, people who disagree with me, me, I don't have any mean neighbors, but if I did, my aggressive neighbors, which I don't, my neighbors are great, They are not my shepherd. Amen? Joe Biden's not your shepherd. He's not. Is he overseeing your soul? No. Feels like gas prices might oversee my soul sometimes. (laughs) And food stuff. But like, and again, like, it's just whoever. Like, plug in your thing. Like, anyone or anything in this world, are they going to shepherd you into eternity? Are they going to oversee your quality of eternal life in your soul? Are they going to do that? So stop wasting your time just getting upset about this stuff and just head to the shepherd. All right, questions. I'm going to have Taylor and uh, Liz and Raph come up. These are the intentional questions. I would love, if you're journaling, please write these down. And I want you to think about these, like, throughout the week. Because this stuff affects, like, this isn't Sunday morning. Like, this is your family. These are your relationships. Like, you, the way that you are perceived by the world, like, this will affect how you interact with the world around you. When faced with conflict, am I humble or am I hostile? I will say I'm hostile when I'm faced with conflict. I tend to be like threatened. But Paul and Jesus, they're inviting us to be people who are humble, people of humility. Because the conflict isn't going to get better the more aggressive you are. Just focus on that log that's in your eye and figure out how you can take care of that. And be humble in conflict. Number two, when faced with hostility, do I aim to honor or do I aim to humiliate? 
I brought it up earlier, tweeting and posting. And I mean, listen, you know how many news anchors, CNN, Fox News, say they're Christians? I'm like, you really act like one. You know, like, I'm not saying they're not. I don't make salvation. But I'm just saying, your character looks very different. Um, Like, that's what I'm talking about. Those things are the things that matter. How you're interacting with people. Are you here to honor people or humiliate people? And last one is when faced with opposition, do I hope in the gospel or do I hope in myself? Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.